0: don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles, well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. What is up, crew? Welcome back to the Crypto Economy Podcast. Uh, I am really busy right now, so I am going to just jump right in uh, into another Zabo piece. This is one I've been meaning to get to, uh, mostly because I haven't read it. And um, it was published in 1997, and it's by Nick Zabo. Um, It's titled Formalizing and Securing Relationships on Public Networks. And this is just something that, like, I feel like there's a ton of, kind of like the decentralized exchanges, trying to get their footing in. We've got things like BISC. Uh, just the the experimental case of the darknet market is fascinating. Um, there's so much going on in this kind of ide- ideas, this set of ideas of uh, creating – it's a system where where you can essentially trust people that you don't know. And how do you formalize and kind of standardize those relationships online? Um, And I've been wanting to dig into this for a long time. Uh, And since I've got, I'm kind of all over the place right now with trying to decide what I want to do with uh, further episodes and whether I want to focus on like getting videos out or kind of tutorials um, because I got a lot of that going on in the background and focusing on the website, this will be easy. Uh, This will be something that I know I wanted to dig into And I can just read it for you guys, Uh, and I'm sure everybody would love to have another Nick Zabo piece. Everybody seems to listen to those a lot. So without further ado, uh, we are just going to jump right in to Nick Zabo's piece. Again, uh, I am reading it off of nakamotoinstitute.org. It's published in a number of different places. Obviously, you can get it on uh, unenumerated.blogspot.com, Nick Zabo's uh, actual blog. But uh, Satoshi, the Nakamoto Institute has a lot of this stuff basically just sitting in their, what is it, their literature? Yeah, yeah, their literature and research. Bunch of great stuff up there, so always check them out as well. But, yeah, no, no more delay. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Formalizing and Securing Relationships on Public Networks by Nick Zaba. Introduction. History has seen successive revolutions in the cost of doing global business. First, transportation, then manufacturing, and recently, communications costs have fallen dramatically. Yet there are still major barriers to doing business internationally. The cost of doing business globally is increasingly dominated by issues of jurisdiction, security, and and trust, the costs of developing, maintaining, and securing our relationships. Despite the recent rise of global computer networks, our institutions still take for granted that we live in a world of paper. We formalize our relationships with written contracts, written laws, and forms designed for paper. Our attitudes and laws regarding intellectual property and privacy have assumed a world of paper, which is costly to copy. Increasingly, we can no longer take these deeply embedded, highly evolved paper institutions for granted. Nor, since these institutions involve complex human relationships, can we redesign them overnight. We are entering a period where civilization must once again adapt to a radical new media. Over the long stretch civilization, paper represents only one of many technologies used to mediate commercial relationships. The Inca used quipa, accounts encoded on strings, a system with interesting tamper-resistance properties. Early Middle Eastern civilizations used clay tokens for thousands of years. These combined the function of and were a precursor to both cuneiform writing and coins. Coins started out as lumps of standardized metal and weight, Since these were too expensive to test during a normal business transaction, they came to be stamped by reputable or powerful authorities. Coins played a major role in commerce for thousands of years, but that era is now over. Business is now dominated by paper and institutions of written literacy. Security measures have included chops, seals, and written signatures. Value has been transferred via bills of exchange, which evolved into checks, bearer certificates, and accounts using the double-entry bookkeeping system. Most importantly, we take for granted that contracts and law are written on this static medium to be interpreted and enforced by human authorities. We are now entering an era of online communications and software literacy. The physics of cyberspace, studied by computer scientists, are radically different from the properties of paper to an even greater degree than paper was different from string, clay, and metal. Not only written, but also aural, visual, and other sensory media can be combined. Most importantly, digital media are dynamic. They not only transmit information, but can also make some kinds of decisions, Digital media can perform calculations, directly operate machinery, and work through some kinds of reasoning much more efficiently than humans. The movement from static to dynamic media promises to bring about a fourth cost revolution in the related areas of jurisdiction, trust, and security. Impacts on business will be felt in law, accounting, auditing, billing, collections, contracts, confidentiality, and so on. In short, the entire nature of our business relationships will be altered in ways only partially foreseeable. The main traditional way to formalize a business relationship is the contract, a set of promises agreed to in a meeting of the minds. We naturally think of contracts as written, but oral agreements are also considered contracts and have been around since prehistory. The contract is the basic building block of a market economy. Over many centuries of cultural evolution has emerged both the concept of contract and principles related to it encoded into common law. Such evolved structures are often prohibitively costly to re-derive, If we started from scratch, using reason and experience, it could take many centuries to redevelop sophisticated ideas like contract law and property rights that make the modern market work. But the digital revolution challenges us to develop new institutions in a much shorter time period. By extracting from our current laws, procedures, and theories those principles which remain applicable in cyberspace, We can retain much of this deep tradition and greatly shorten the time needed to develop useful digital institutions. Computers make possible the running of algorithms heretofore prohibitively costly and networks the quicker transmission of larger and more sophisticated messages. Furthermore, computer scientists and cryptographers have recently discovered many new and quite interesting algorithms. Combining these messages and algorithms makes possible a wide variety of new protocols. These protocols, running on public networks such as the internet, both challenge and enable us to formalize and secure new kinds of relationships in this new environment, just as contract law, business forms, and accounting controls have long formalized and secured business relationships in the paper-based world. In electronic commerce so far, the design criteria important for automating contract execution have come from disparate fields like economics and cryptography, with little cross-communication, little awareness of the technology on the one hand, and little awareness of its best business uses on the other. These efforts are striving after common objectives and converge on the concept of smart contracts. Smart contracts reduce mental and computational transaction costs imposed by either principals, third parties, or their tools. The contractual phases of search, negotiation, commitment, performance, and adjudication constitute the realm of smart contracts. This article covers all phases with an emphasis on performance. Smart contracts utilize protocols and user interfaces to facilitate all steps of the contracting process. This gives us new ways to formalize and secure digital relationships which are far more functional than their inanimate paper-based ancestors. Contracts embedded in the world. The basic idea behind smart contracts is that many kinds of contractual clauses, such as collateral, bonding, delineation of property rights, etc., can be embedded in the hardware and software we deal with in such a way as to make breach of contract expensive, if desired, sometimes prohibitively so, for the breacher. A canonical real-life example, which we might consider to be the primitive ancestor of smart contracts, is the humble vending machine. Within a limited amount of potential loss, the amount in the till should be less than the cost of breaching the mechanism, The machine takes in coins and via a simple mechanism, which makes a freshman computer science problem in design with finite automata, dispense change and product according to the displayed price. The vending machine is a contract with bearer. Anybody with coins can participate in an exchange with the vendor. The logbox and other security mechanisms protect the stored coins and contents from attackers, sufficiently to allow profitable deployment of vending machines in a wide variety of areas. Smart contracts go beyond the vending machine in proposing to embed contracts in all sorts of property that is valuable and controlled by digital means. Smart contracts reference that property in a dynamic, often proactively enforced form and provide much better observation and verification where proactive measures must fall short. As another example, consider a hypothetical digital security system for automobiles. The smart contract design strategy suggests that we successively refine security protocols to more fully embed in a property the contractual terms which deal with it. These protocols would give control of the cryptographic keys for operating the property to the person who rightfully owns that property based on the terms of the contract. In the most straightforward implementation, the car can be rendered inoperable unless the proper challenge-response protocol is completed with its rightful owner, preventing theft. But if the car is being used to secure credit, strong security implemented in this traditional way would create a headache for the creditor. The repo man would no longer be able to confiscate a deadbeat's car. To redress this problem, we can create a smart-lean protocol if the owner fails to make payments, the smart contract invokes the lien protocol, which returns control of the car keys to the bank. This protocol might be much cheaper and more effective than a repo man. A further reification would provably remove the lien when the loan was paid off, as well as account for hardship and as well as account for hardship and operational exceptions. For example, it would be rude to revoke operation of the car while it's doing 75 down the freeway. In this process of successive refinement, we've gone from a crude security system to a reified contract. 1. A lock to selectively let in the owner and exclude third parties. 2. A back door to let in the creditor. 3A. Creditor back door switched on. Only upon non-payment for a certain period of time, and 3B, the final electronic payment permanently switches off the back door. Mature security systems will be undertaking different behavior for different contracts. To continue with our example, if the automobile contract were a lease, the final payment would switch off leasee access. For purchase on credit, it would switch off creditor access. A security system by successive redesign increasingly approaches the logic of the contract, which governs the rights and obligations covering the object, information, or computation being secured. Qualitatively different contractual terms, as well as technological differences in the property, give rise to the need for different protocols. All right, let's take a quick break. I'm going to go get another coffee, and we will talk about our sponsor. And let's jump right back in. Contemporary practice. Accounting protocols. Outside of the financial cryptography community and long predating it, there is a deep tradition of protocols used in the course of performing contracts. These protocols consist of a flow of forms, data flow, canonically displayed in data flow diagrams, along with checks and procedures called Controls. Controls serve many of the same functions as cryptographic protocols integrity, authorization, and so on. This article uses control protocols, or simply controls, to refer to this combination of data flow and controls. Control protocols and the professions of auditing and accounting based on them play a critical but ill analyzed role in our economy. Economists lump them, along with other costs of negotiating and ensuring the performance of contracts, under their catch-all rubric of transaction costs. But without controls, large corporations and the economies of scale they create would not be possible. Controls allow a quarrelsome species, ill-suited to organizations larger than small tribes, to work together on vast projects like manufacturing jumbo jets and running hospitals. These control protocols are the result of many centuries of business experience and have a long future ahead of them, but the digital revolution will soon cause these paper-era techniques to be dramatically augmented by and eventually integrated into smart contracts. Controls enable auditing, of contract performances, allowing more precise inference of the behavior of an agent. Auditing is costly, so it is undertaken by random sampling. Economists study the substitutability between the probability of verifying a breach and the magnitude of legal fees where physical enforcement is used. Conceivably, one could substitute increasingly high penalties for increasingly rarer and less expensive auditing. However, this is not robust to real-world conditions of imperfect information. Since controls primarily address the implicit contracts between employees and employer, there is little mapping from contract to control. A secondary function of controls is to monitor contracts with other organizations, Here there is some mapping, but it is confounded by the integration of the two functions in most controls. Rather than based on contractual terms, controls are typically based on managerial authorization. Controls are typically based around amounts of money and quantities of goods. A canonical control is double entry bookkeeping where two books are kept and there must be arithmetic reconciliation between the books. To conceal an irregularity, it is necessary to admit it from both sides or to record entries, offsetting the irregularity. Notice that there's a problem distinguishing error from fraud. This problem crops up in many areas in both auditing and smart contracts. To illustrate, here are two common control techniques. Impressed. This is a family of controls involving the receipt or disbursement of bearer certificates, usually notes and coins. One example is the protocol used at most movie theaters. Entry is segregated from payment by introducing tickets and establishing two employee roles, the ticket seller in a booth and the ticket stub salesman at the entrance. Periodically, a bookkeeper reconciles the number of tickets with the total paid. Discrepancy again indicates fraud or error. Customer audit. Techniques to get the customer to generate initial documentation of a transaction. For example, pricing goods at $0.99 forces the employee to open the cash register to make change, generating a receipt. A complete control protocol typically features the generation of initial documentation, segregation of duties, and arithmetic reconciliation of quantities of goods, standard service events, and money. Of these the segregation of duties deserves special comment. In a large business, transactions are divided up so that no single person can commit fraud. Segregation of duties is an instance of the principle of required conspiracy. For example, the functions of warehouse and delivery, sales, and receipt of payments are each performed by different parties with a policy that each party reports every transaction to a fourth function, accounting. Any singular reported activity, for example, delivery without receipt of payment, indicates potential fraud. For example, a delivery was made to a customer and the payment pocketed instead of being put into the corporate treasury. Segregation of duties is the auditor's favorite tool. Where it is absent, the auditor cries foul, just as a good engineer would react to a single point of failure. Many cryptographic systems have rightfully gone down to commercial failure because they ground down to trust in a single entity rather than segregating functions so as to require conspiracy. There are at least three significant differences between the scope and emphasis of smart contracts and controls. Controls are paper-era protocols designed around static forms place little emphasis on confidentiality and are based on management authorizations rather than one-to-one relationships. Smart contracts can be based on a wide variety of interactive protocols and user interfaces and can be involved in a wide variety of kinds of contractual performance. Control protocols developed in the era of paper are based on static forms passed as messages and processed in tables and spreadsheets. Controls focus on money and counts of standardized goods and service events, easily recorded by numbers and manipulated by arithmetic, while mostly ignoring other kinds or aspects of contractual performance. Check sums on numbers, the basis of reconciliation, are crude and forgeable compared to cryptographic hashes. Electronic Data Interchange, or EDI, keeps these static forms, and maintains reliance on controls. It uses cryptographic hashes for nothing more sophisticated than integrity checks on individual messages. Controls place little emphasis on confidentiality, at least in the modern accounting literature. The emphasis on confidentiality in paper error protocols is lacking because violation of often implicit confidences via replication of data was much more difficult with paper. Furthermore, technologies for protecting confidentiality while auditing were not feasible. Businesses traditionally trusted accounting firms with confidences, a trust that has eroded over the last century and will erode still further as accounting firms start taking advantage of the vast amounts of inside and marketing information they are collecting from their customers' databases during audits. Using paper-based protocols in a digital world, there are few effective controls against the auditors themselves. Post-unforgeable transaction logs and multi-party secure computation discussed below indicate the possibility of cryptographic protocols to implement less relevatory but more effective auditing trails and controls their use may be able to ameliorate the growing problems with data mining and breach of confidentiality. Auditors place quite a bit of trust in management to authorize transactions in a secure and productive manner. Objecting to this dual trust in management and distrust of employees inherent in the accounting tradition, there has been a trend in the last two decades towards a loosening of controls as a part of hierarchy flattening and empowerment of professional employees. Unfortunately, loose controls have led to several recent scandals in the banking and investment trade. The most recent view is that there must be a learned trade-off between controls and empowerment. The smart contract view is that we need smarter controls, originating at the ownership of the company and entailing less asymmetry between management and other professional employees. This means converting many implicit employee contracts to more explicit smart contracts based on more direct relationships between owners, or at least their directors, and employees, and symmetric formalizations between employees. Although most of these differences are biased against controls, these traditional protocols have a long future ahead of them simply because they have a long past. They are highly evolved, hundreds of years old, Double-entry bookkeeping, for example, predates the Renaissance. Smart contracts will incorporate many techniques and strategies from control protocols, such as generation of an initial record, segregation of duties, and reconciliation. It will not be long, however, before smart contracts start augmenting and transforming traditional business procedures, making a wide variety of new business structures possible, and in the long run, replacing traditional controls. Electronic Data Interchange. Electronic Data Interchange, or EDI, is the computer-to-computer communication of standardized business transactions between organizations in a standard format that permits the receiver to perform the intended transaction. It renders traditional static business forms in cyberspace and maintains the dependence on traditional controls. Beyond simple encryption and integrity checks, EDI does not take advantage of algorithms and protocols to add security and, quote, smarts to business relationships. It enables more rapid execution of traditional negotiation and performance monitoring procedures. EDI loses some security features provided by physical paper, such as difficulty of copying, while not gaining advantages from the wide variety of protocols possible beyond simple message passing of static forms. This article examples a much richer set of protocols. EDI contracts tend to be merely reiterations of existing terms and conditions, with only some timing expectations changed for the electronic environment. By redesigning our business relationships to take advantage of a richer set of protocols, smart contracts can take us far beyond the paper-based paradigm of shipping around forms in a secure manner. The following classification, derived from Socal, illustrates the variety of business forms that have been rendered in electronic form Administrative, Product Code and Price Catalogs, Catalog Updates, Forecasts and Plans, Deals and Promotions, Statements. Pre-Purchasing, Requests for Quote and Responses, Inventory, Inquiry, or Advice. Purchasing, Purchase Order and Acknowledgement, Purchase Order Change and Acknowledgement of Change. Material Release, Point of Sale, Inventory on Hand, Shipping and Receiving, Shipment Status Inquiry and Response, Advance Shipment Notification, Bill of Lading, and Freight Bill, then Warehouse, Inventory, Inquiry, and Status, a Shipping Notice, Receipt Confirmation, Shipment Order, and Shipment Confirmation then customs, declaration and release. And lastly, billing and paying, invoice, payment, remittance, credit and debit memos, and receipts. Automata as authority. Focal or shelling points are often designed and submitted into negotiations by one side or another, both to bias the negotiations and to reduce their cost. The fixed price at the supermarket instead of haggling, the pre-written contract the appliance salesman presents you, etc., are examples of hard focal points. They are simply agreed to right away. They serve as the end as well as the beginning of negotiations, because haggling over whether the nearest neighbor focal point is better is too expensive for both parties. There are many weak enforcement mechanisms which also serve a similar purpose, like the little arms in parking garages that prevent you from leaving without paying, the sawhorses and tape around construction sites, most fences, etc. Civilization is filled with contracts embedded in the world. More subtle examples include taxi meters, cash register readouts, computer displays, and so on. As with hard focal points, the cost of haggling can often be reduced by invoking technology as authority. I'm sorry, but that's what the computer says, argues clerks around the world. I know I estimated $50 to get to Manhattan, but the meter reads 75 says the taxi driver. Dimensions of Contract Design All right, we will jump back into dimensions of contract design tomorrow. I am out of time today. Um, uh, Hopefully when I do part two of this, you know, this might need three parts. This one's pretty long. Um, I don't think I said that at the beginning, but this is a pretty lengthy piece. But uh, like I said, I've read part of it and never actually got to read the full thing. So I'm really excited to dig through this. Hopefully I'll leave myself enough time on the day that I finish it so we can go ahead and just jump right into the commentary about this one. Uh, because Nick Zabo always has some amazing stuff to say, and I swear every time I cover one of these, I learn three, four things that I either didn't know or hadn't thought about in a certain way. Um, and already I'm I'm loving like the micro details about examples of smart contracts, essentially that we already have in the world, like these little miniature examples of things that we just don't even think about because they're so pervasive, they're so... Um, just saturated in everything that we do that they're invisible. It's like, you know, you know a fish doesn't know it's wet. Um, Water is just everywhere. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I love that. Like I said, I don't want to go too far. Um, but this is just really, really fun. I hope you guys are enjoying this one. We will be back. Oof. Maybe I might get lucky and be able to record some more tomorrow. I don't really know. Um, but either way, keep an eye out. It may be the beginning of next week. Uh, when we start jumping into the next part of formalizing and securing relationships on public networks. All right. Uh, with that, don't forget to check out CryptoEconomy.life. Uh, I got a lot of stuff that I'm always dropping up there. Um, this is where you'll find all of my episodes um, and uh, the Bitcoin Survivors book list for diving deeper into all this stuff and then the collections. If you're trying to hit one topic in particular that you really you're really curious about, like, Uh, Right now, I've got economics and money, uh, just kind of the foundations of what money is and why Bitcoin is money. Um, And then uh, also the Lightning Network with introductions, breakdowns of the contract, conversations with different people in the Lightning Network, people who've used the Lightning Network and their experiences. Uh, So much uh, great stuff in that playlist. Um, So those are great things to dive straight down into topics uh, specifically, because uh, f- we've covered so much crap on this show. It's amazing. We're at, I don't even know, we're getting close to 240, 250, almost 250 episodes, in it, I think, now. But uh, yeah, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to check out cryptoeconomy.life and share this with all the people you know in the Bitcoin and crypto space to get this show out there. And uh, yeah, because I know a lot of people want to understand and know about Bitcoin. And a lot of times they just don't know where to get the info. That's why I'm here. All right, guys, I will catch you all next time on the Crypto Economy Podcast. Until then, take it easy, guys.